This week, let's talk about marketing positioning and about the future of in-person and virtual conferences. My guest is Matt Desmere, and this is episode 266 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This podcast is all about keeping marketing simple and all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a professional speaker and consultant from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the complexity and the BS from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. This week's interview is an absolute belter. I've been wanting to have Matt Desmere on the podcast for a long time, ever since I met him at a series of conferences in Eastern Europe. We're going to be talking about marketing positioning, a very important part of the marketing mix, and perhaps an area that people neglect, perhaps because positioning itself sounds a bit jargony, doesn't it? And we also talk about the future of in-person and virtual conferences. That's a fascinating chat, so do please stick around to the end to hear that. Before the interview, just a quick reminder. I don't charge for the podcast. It's free to everybody. But if you want to support the show, perhaps you'd consider buying my book. It's called Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. And it's all about putting together a simple marketing strategy. If you want to buy a copy, just go to rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash book. And you'll get all the links you need to find it on Amazon. It's either a paperback or a Kindle edition. Okay, let's get straight into that interview with Matt Desmere right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Matt, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, Matt, you and I have met each other several times, not in the UK, though. We, 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 <laughs> no. always, we always seem to bump into each other at conferences, mainly in the Balkans, places like Montenegro and Macedonia and Albania. Albania, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and of course, we, not, neither of us have been able to travel to any of those countries for the last 12 months, but we'll probably talk a little bit about that. What I want to talk to you about today, Matt, um, is marketing in general and positioning in particular because this oh. is a particular passion of yours now yeah, my you, sweet spot your sweet spot you describe yourself as a wise old uncle when it <laughs> comes to marketing which probably makes me a slightly older yeah. wise old uncle uh, but we won't get into that before we get into the subject of positioning and marketing in general maybe give the listeners of the marketing and finance podcast a little bit of background about yourself where you came from how your career developed and basically what makes matt desmi a tip Okay. I trained as a designer. Okay. So I, I always wanted to be get into advertising. It was one of those things in the 80s, some of those amazing TV adverts, and, and I wanted to be part of that. I, I didn't have a clue how to do it. So I ended up being a designer. I wasn't a very good designer, but what I, what I learned through five years at art school was was a process, a way of looking at problems and, 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 and understanding how 
people behave, you know, how the problems that designers solve are people-based problems. And a lot of it is around communication, right? Straight out of that, I became an innovation advisor for the government. My, my job there was to help businesses develop new products and services and routes to market and just be more innovative. I, I then ran a program with the Design Council that tried to push the design principles up into the C-suite. And the whole, whole while I was, I was an innovation advisor, uh, I did a master's degree in, in corporate communication, so, so international PR and branding. So that, that was my, my tangent into the world of advertising, I guess, and marketing. Um, and, and I ended up working at a university as head of enterprise, and I ran their business incubator. And my role there, which I worked out really early on, was I was going to look really good if I made the companies I worked with really good. So these were all startup businesses, and I became their outsourced, outsourced marketing director. I helped them focus on what their product was, focus on how they told people about it, let them work the, the nitty-gritty day-to-day of operations, and, and I would make them look amazing and I would help them find customers and I'd help them pitch to customers just because, you know, I I had an ego. I've still got an ego, but I knew that I would look good if they succeeded. And that's sort of where I ended up doing what I do now. So now I work with with creative agencies, uh, with small businesses and larger businesses, um, helping them to inspire uh, I, I offer clarity, insight, and inspiration. That's my positioning statement. <laughs> uh, I, I work with them to understand what it is they do, who they do it for, how they can improve it, and how they can make people buy it. Those of you who listen to the Marketing and Finance podcast and have listened to it for many years will know that one of the subjects that I go on about so much is the fact that marketing isn't just about communications. It isn't just about advertising. It isn't just about promotion or social media or content. There's a heck of a lot more to marketing than just the communications side. Now, if I was to get academic on it, we could say that marketing involves research. It involves customer orientation, it involves segmentation of markets, it involves targeting in specific markets, it it involves positioning, which is a word you've just used. It also involves strategic goals. And then we start talking about things like product and price and distribution. Notice I haven't even got to communications yet. And then finally, we might have a conversation about communications. But, you know, time and time again, I find myself getting frustrated in this modern digital world that when anybody talks about marketing and, and, you know, those conferences I mentioned earlier on that you and I have been to are often marketing conferences and and they are literally talking about the communications part of marketing and nothing else. And therefore, if, if somebody starts saying things like positioning, it's quite likely that nobody will have a clue what you're actually talking about. So Matt, Tell me, what is positioning from, from your perspective? So, I, so from, from my perspective, positioning is, is how you differentiate your offer from, from the myriad of others that are around you. It's, it's how you, you mark your stake in the ground. Um, 
And, and when I when I work with businesses on understanding their positioning, a lot of the time I do it with an internal focus more than an external focus. It is that we we need to understand internally what our position is. How do we stack up against our peers and our competitors? How does our audience see us? How do they recognize our product over someone else's? You know, it it it, it overlaps a lot with branding, I guess. Um, and that's where the branding starts. Well, the branding starts with the culture of an organization as much as anything else. So, you know, part of that positioning is how do we know that everyone working here knows what we do and how we do it and how we're different from, from Acme company over there that does a similar sounding thing to us. So it's, it's all about differentiation. And that's, that's the positioning bit for me. It's how do we understand that? And then... From knowing that, we can build the right products. We can price them accordingly. We can make sure they're seen in the right places and we can promote them. I absolutely agree with all of that. Now, I have heard people refer to positioning as just another way of saying your offer. But what you've described to me there is obviously much wider than an offer. It includes elements of branding and, and, and service and everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, always, I always come at this as, look, positioning is not just a strap line. You know, it, there might be an externally facing part of your positioning, but actually we need to understand it internally. This is how we're going to make decisions based on this positioning. You know, the, the finance director needs to know that we're making the right decisions. The CEO or the MD need to know we're making the right decisions. Everyone's attracted by the, the next shiny new thing, but sometimes they're not the right thing for us as a business. Now, Unless we know what our positioning is and we can communicate that, um, we might end up going down a rabbit hole with the wrong thing. So, so for me, positioning is a starting point. It was that it was that Jack Trout and Al Reese book, positioning the the battle for the power of the mind, that that really swung it for me. It's such a tremendous book from from the mid eighties. Uh, but that's what it is. It's, it's how do you how do you lock something in someone's head? How do you say that's what they do. And if they're doing it, then no one else is doing it. So what is it you do? Yeah, Matt, I get all of that. And, and I guess that positioning is probably one of those words, isn't it, that is slightly scary to some people. It's a bit like strategy. I, I tend to avoid the word strategy with a lot of my clients because it often just has them diving for cover. So, so we've established that positioning is more than just an offer. Is, 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 is it another way of describing a mission statement then or a vision? I think that's that is part of it. So I used to sell strategy. I mean that that's what I I do. I sell strategy to to businesses. But I, like you said, I always found that that uh, that that people were 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 afraid of buying that. They didn't understand what a strategy was, or they figured they already had a strategy. They didn't need that. So then I just changed tack and and started talking about positioning as a way to start that conversation. Uh, and you know what? Part of it falls around the mission, the vision, and the values, and the behaviors. And this is where I was saying just now that I think culture comes into a lot of this, that you, you can have 
one car dealership and another car dealership or one firm of solicitors up against another firm of solicitors or indeed financial advisors against another financial advisors. The, the, the products are all very similar. The way in which they sell them will be different and the people that work there will be different and their approach and, and how they behave and handle their customers is different. And it's how do we encapsulate all of that? And how do we turn that into something of competitive advantage to us? And, and for me, that's, that starts with the positioning statement. And so effectively, you, you've, you've created a product around your strategy advice that you give to companies by positioning yeah. in it as positioning. That, that is exactly what I did, that I, I found that where if I, were, if I was offering to sell strategy, it's such a huge, potentially huge topic that people didn't want to buy it. They, did, they didn't want to know. They didn't even want to start the conversation. So I would start the conversation and say, well, let's, let's look at your positioning. And we can do that in a finite amount of time. Uh, here is a, a almost prescribed process that I'm going to take you through. Here are the bite-sized pieces so that I get them working in a certain way and thinking in a certain way uh, where we're just covering off something that they, they don't mind toying with. Um, and that was the positioning thing. But it's a, it's, it's a door opener to a broader topic because then we start talking about branding. And when I start talking about branding, then I'm going to start talking about the culture. And then I'm going to start talking about the people and your mission, your vision, your values. And then, and then we'll get on to pricing. You know, and then we'll start covering off the four P's of marketing because that's all I'm selling. I'm selling marketing services. Yeah. And of course, though, Again, you didn't mention communications or the last P of marketing promotion until right at the very end there. So, so let's imagine that uh, I'm a, a financial advisor firm or, or a car mechanics garage, as you've described there. Yeah. What would be the process that you take them through in this positioning journey to get to that positioning statement for them? So I guess the, the first part that we go through is it's an iterative process. And, you know, pre, pre-COVID and pre-pandemic, we'd, we'd, we'd go through it, sat around a table and run, I'd run some, book, some workshops with, uh, with sticky notes and whatnot. But one of the things I always start with is an audit of the landscape. Who are your competitors? Who are the peers that you aspire to be like? Who is your audience? Where, where what do they look like? And we'll do some persona mapping of those Let's, and some empathy mapping. Let's understand the decisions that your audience makes when they buy you. Let's understand the products you sell and where they fit in a hierarchy uh, of competitors. You know, so that you're not the cheapest, you're not the most expensive, you're, you're alongside these guys. Who else? Who else does your audience buy that's in that space? So that we understand the people who are the, the customers at the end of the at the end of the process. And then it's about we'll maybe do a, some work with the internal team. What do you think your unique selling proposition is? What do you think are the things that make you stand out? They'll always come back and say, well, it's our service and it's our, our customer experience. And I was like, okay, well. What does that actually mean? Give me something tangible. And we'll just go through that process. And you get them to draw things out so that it's so that they can start articulating 
the the magical little elements that they do which will make people come back to them time after time after time which their customer their their competitors don't do and once we've gathered all of this information it's um it's how do we how do we edit that down and and distill that into here's a here's a really concise thing we are the people who do this for this audience to these consumers and we're different from these people because and i'll do i'll do something as rudimentary as that uh and then we'll add some flowery language and make it sound better. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, <laughs> in fairness, Matt, it's, it, it's exactly, exactly the process I take my own clients through. It's just that, as you would expect, I have a slightly different way of describing things. Um, you know, I, I try to avoid using some of the marketing language, admittedly, like I tend not to use the word positioning, even though I am doing positioning. Right. And I, I do try to avoid the word strategy as well. But, but effectively, what you're it's classic marketing strategy, isn't it? You're, you're going through a diagnosis phase where you you review the market, you review your customers and competitors, you look at the needs they have, then you consider what the products are that you could develop to meet those needs and what those products cost. And at the same time, you're building your own brand messages around that. And of course, all of this happens before you even think about sending out an advert or a tweet or building some content. And, yeah. and, 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 and what staggers me these days is, okay, we've said it before, you're the wise old, <laughs> you're the wise old uncle. I'm a slightly older, wise old uncle. And we're not, we're not past it yet. We're not past it by any means. But it does seem to me that a lot of people in the marketing profession have lost all of this. When did marketing just become about the advertising and the communications and the and the and the social, have we given this other stuff away oh. to other departments, or has has it been taken from us? I just don't know when I blinked and this happened, or whether it's always been happening. I could I could tell you exactly when it was. <laughs> it, was two, <laughs> it was it was in two thousand and seven. You know, so we we go back to the eighties and nineties, and there was always a tension between sales and marketing. That that marketing was about generating leads, and sales was about closing them. And actually, you know, there was always that tension there. And then what happened with the birth of Web two point zero? So. 2007, with the likes of, of Facebook and the social media channels coming along, but also that was uh, around the times that Google really started nailing their algorithm and nailing search marketing. Actually, the segmentation started getting done for you. All of that stuff became uh, the click of a button, apparently, that you didn't have to think about it that much. So, so that a new tension arrived for us marketeers in so much as, you know, my friend's my friend's son down the road can do that. He can he can use Facebook and Facebook ads. They come back and do all the targeting for you, and it and it and it's lost its professionalism. I think you know I'm still a massive massive fan of chartered marketers um, because you they be to to continue to be a chartered marketer a chartered marketer you have to continually do cpd you have to continually learn this new stuff now i end up in in discussions on linkedin about the the quality of a, a university education or the quality of a professional marketing qualification and you'll always get a ton of people go but i'm self taught and i've done all right okay yep yeah. You may well be, but actually, 
there is a there is an art and a science to this and you kind of need to know the fundamentals i could build an app because i can stick a load of plugins together but i'm no software developer so i don't know if i'm going to do a good app i don't know i'm entirely de- uh, dependent on other people third party services because i can't do it from first principles and i think you know the the quality of a really good marketer is to be able to if facebook goes down tomorrow or if, or if google changes their algorithm actually you know the fundamentals of why you're doing it who you're doing it for how you're doing it why that pricing works why that positioning works and you know those fundamentals and it's massively important Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I found myself doing a similar thing to you the other day, but this was on on Twitter, and and a, and a guy who um, doesn't follow me. I don't follow them. I think it was one of those ones that accidentally appeared in my feed, and his question was something along the lines of um, the marketing department are wanting to get involved with the product team, um, and the product team are pushing back against this, and. I answered this and said, well, why are the marketing and product team not in the same room? You know, why aren't they having a conversation? It's all part of the same process. And the guy came back and said, absolutely not. The marketing people do all the advertising, but the product, no, no, that's that's another part of the business entirely, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, okay, I can remember the days of the of the chasm between sales and marketing, but there's never been a chasm between a product team and a marketing team. But it would appear the profession has deprofessionalized to such an extent in some industries that marketing genuinely doesn't get involved in the research and the and the customer analysis and the product development they genuinely are just communicators and i think that's sad you know in fairness rename them the communications department because that's <laughs> what they actually are they're not marketing in the true academic and old git sense that i i still revere the profession well, by well uh, look there 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 is there is light at the end of the tunnel or there is a glimmer of hope roger i've i've just spent the last 18 months working with a a quasi government department uh they're a, they're a, they're a, they're an individual company but they got one shareholder and it's and it's the government and they wanted to launch a new product they didn't know what that product was uh and so they came to me as a marketeer Say, can you go and understand our audience? Can you find out where their pains are? And can you help us develop a new product to to put us in front of that audience? Which is a wonderful brief to get given. But it happens so rarely. And I think it's because of the skill sets in the room. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, eventually. I mean, as, as you said before, I'm a great big fan of keep training, keep learning new stuff. You know, I never, ever call myself a marketing expert. I certainly never call myself a marketing guru. Um, and <laughs> even even if people are very kind and say that I'm a marketing expert or a marketing guru, I always tend to push back and say, well, actually, no, I'm learning every day. You know, there are new things coming out that we need to embrace and we need to examine and we need to, that need to challenge our perceptions. So we are learning every day. And hopefully, maybe some of those people who are just focused on product who are just focused on communications will at some stage want to embrace the wider discipline and actually consider the whole marketing mix that starts with the customer research and ends with the the building of the product and yeah. the promotion it's it's that it's that constant learning thing that uh, which is why i miss those conferences that you and i 
always gone to a 10 because, you know, look, I, I enjoyed being up there on stage and I enjoyed uh, sharing my opinions and my experience and, and my point of view. But just as much, I enjoyed listening to, to you and I enjoyed listening to the other speakers because I'm, I'm, I'm constantly sucking up information. I'm a sponge. I'm an information junkie. Yeah, same here. I'm the same. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, and we, we go to events like that, not just to be on a stage or to listen to other people, but to meet other people. Yeah. And, and, and that gives me a fabulous segue into the next question, because, yes, you speak at conferences, Matt, as do I, but you have also been a fairly major conference producer in the past. Now, obviously, <laughs> over the last year, most conferences have, have had to pivot is, is a word that I don't like, but that's the reality. <laughs> I've had to go into a sort of online environment. But you you, you came up with quite an innovative com, uh, conference format, didn't you? I remember it was called Silicon Beach. And I always thought, wow, that just sounds cool before you even know what it's all about. Yeah. So I, I uh, back in 2010, 2011, um, I, I wanted to see a load of people speaking. And I'd always been paid to go to conferences through my various jobs and roles. And so, and all the people I wanted were not going to be in the same room at the same time. So one it was an Easter weekend. It was just before the Easter bank holiday. I just got this list and I worked out their email addresses and I invited 16 people to come and speak at a conference. And they all said yes. And Silicon Beach was born. And the idea was that I would just have an eclectic group of people who were experts in their field, artists and teachers and marketeers and leadership development coaches, a whole array of people. Um, it was primarily focused around innovation and new stuff and the future of marketing. Um, but the, I guess the novel thing that I did, it was, it was novel back then, was A, I didn't do it in London. Uh, I, did it, I did it in Bournemouth. And no one, you know, Bournemouth was where old people went to retire. It's not where much digital innovation and marketing conferences happen. And I also didn't tell the audience the agenda. And I didn't tell the audience what the speakers were speaking about. So you just knew these 16 people are coming. I don't know when they're speaking. I don't know what they're speaking about. But I kind of trust Matt that he's going to have curated a pretty good lineup. And I did that for 10 years. <laughs> well, on, I three mean, con uh, on three continents. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's uh, the testament to your <laughs> reputation, obviously. But definitely, uh, you know, I, I could expect quite a few raised eyebrows you mean there's no agenda and, and you, you won't yeah. tell me what order and you won't tell me what they're talking about? Why, sh <laughs> why should I even bother turning up? I, well, I got that a lot. And, and I was like, well, you don't have to. Don't turn up. You know, I know I've only got 200 seats in that auditorium. And so I'm, I'm confident I'm going to sell all of these because I know enough. I, I know enough of, enough about how I'm positioning this conference and how I'm pushing it out there that there is an audience for it. So if if you if you want me to really sell it to you, then this conference is for you. And I and having the confidence to turn around to someone and say, "Yeah, you're right. Don't come." <laughs> they immediately bought a ticket. But it was also I'd get emails 
like a couple of days before the event going, can you just tell me the running order? Because uh, I really want to see this person speak. And I was like, well, if, then just sit in the room and wait. And they're like, well, I'm going to have to make some calls and I'm going to have to carry on working. I was like, then this is not the conference for you. This is, this is all about, say someone knew you were speaking and they'd seen you speaking before. They'd be going, but I want to see Roger speak. I was like, yeah, but you kind of know what Roger might speak about. But this guy over here, this woman over here, who you've never heard before, you've no idea what she's going to say. She could blow your mind. And if you organize a call to coincide with her talk, you've missed out. And actually... We sort of owe it to the people up on stage that you sit in the room and listen to them. They've taken the time to come here and share their opinions and write a talk and get up on stage. Don't walk out the room. <laughs> sit and watch. You'll learn something. Oh, I love that philosophy. So where do we go from here, Matt? Because obviously the pandemic's not over yet. We've been given a tantalizing glimpse of perhaps getting out of it in the summer but you know what i still think that we've got a long way to go you know big corporates for certain will not let their staff travel i don't think for the rest of this year i still think that you know a lot of people will have realized how cheaper it is to create an online event even if they invest in a load of technology they still don't have to hire the venue and the catering and all of that sort of thing so maybe going forward we'll see more hybrid events where part of it is live in in person and maybe part of it is online i guess the bit that i i miss the most from the online version of conferences is that networking, you know, it's going for the beers and the meals afterwards. It's the boat trips or, yeah. or whatever. And, and we probably can never replicate that online. But wh- where do you, where do you see conferences and, and things like Silicon beach going in the next couple of years? Well, you know what? So um, one of, one of the other reasons that I didn't tell people the agenda or the running order was actually I'm saying all of these great speakers are there. That's the carrot I'm dangling in front of you. That's my promotional piece to get you to come in the room. The product I'm selling is the networking, is the people in the room that you're going to meet. And so, you know, all these all these conferences that, as you have said, in inverted commas, have pivoted and turned into online conferences – I think I'm missing the point entirely that actually if I want to go and learn something, I can go to YouTube. I can listen to a podcast. I, if I want to hear me speak, God forbid, I can come onto your podcast and hear this conversation, right? The stuff I'm saying now is exactly the same stuff as I'd say on a stage. So when you create an online conference like that, there is no interaction, over during the first lockdown, I took part in a brilliant online event, which I think is the future of events. So it was run by the team behind the Do Lectures, and it was with a guy called Duke Stamp, who was the ex vice president of marketing at Nike, and then he went to Lululemon. And what they created there was a, was a hybrid thing, but it wasn't a hybrid online offline. They had um some pre-recorded videos that that they only released at a certain so a a one-day or a two-day conference was suddenly spread out over three weeks and so they released content at a certain point and then the next day 
there would be a group Zoom conversation and the person who, who had given the talk was there to do a Q&A section. So there was a bit of an interview, but also, and, and also well, here all we're using is YouTube and Zoom. And then the, the other thing that they introduced then was Slack. So they set up a Slack channel so that all the people who were attending the event then were in the Slack channel and they created separate separate channels in Slack so that you could have conversations and meet people who'd been at the conference and talk about the content you saw. And then they did a regular email newsletter. So I think the future is we're going to see these events like, you know, his hoping that Vanya in Montenegro gets spark up and running again. And, and hopefully we get to go there because it's such a beautiful country. But if it doesn't, you know, maybe there's this opportunity to, to extend it over a number of weeks and you know, create the theme that travels over that length of time, but create those spaces for interaction because that's, that's the real benefit of a conference. I absolutely agree. And interestingly, I took part in a conference uh, middle of last year where I pre-recorded my talk. Now, as you would expect, because I like to be a bit of a geek with technology, <laughs> I, I, I went and recorded the introduction down at the harbour and it took me several days to to get a day when there wasn't wind. And then I did part of it in my room uh, where I'm recording this today. I did the John the Wyman bit stood in my garden. and <laughs> But the great thing about it was because it was pre-recorded, the, the organisers wanted me to be at the virtual event whilst the video yeah. was running. And of yeah. course, what was happening, I was in the chat talking to the people who were watching the video. And I was actually really quite surprised by the interaction because, yeah, okay, they, they may not have been concentrating totally on what I was saying, but there was plenty of questions and I was typing answers and people were adding links and it was, it was really good. And I think that interactive part, as you've said, is definitely the future. And if we can get innovative about the interaction, then that's how we're going to make it successful. That's the thing that that's the thing that really works for me. So when 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 I was running Silicon Beach, I refused to have Q and A sessions uh, because it become you know you've got two hundred people in an audience. One person is asking a specific question. That's a, there's a conversation that one hundred and ninety nine people are listening to, and that's that sucks the energy out of the room. It's kind of the same with panel discussions. So I don't like panel discussions either. But the wonderful thing is if you've got a pre recorded film of uh, video in that chat you can do the Q&A because it doesn't interfere with the film that's happening and that was the wonderful thing that, that this this event that I took part in with did they did the pre-record so you got to watch it and you got to watch it more than once and you go oh actually I want to know this I want to know this so that then when we did the Q&A the next day if you didn't want to take part you didn't have to but if you wanted to there was a chat functionality there was the, the zoom functionality and then you could extend it further into the into the slack channels and all of of a sudden the content that came out was rich the learning experience was better you build relationships with complete strangers which you do at a conference that's that for me is a future conferences and i'm just so surprised that i haven't seen more of it i think that one of the big problems is that people try to replicate the in-person events you know i've seen quite a lot of two-day events with 45 yeah. minute keynotes effectively replicated online and people don't want to sit and watch a 45 minute keynote four times a day on a screen you know they, it needs to be spread out like you've said or condensed and well, if with, I'm gonna, with the if i'm going to sit and stare at my screen i can do that any time of the day or night 
So just give just give me access to that stuff and, and I'll I'll watch it in my own time. That's not how you run an online conference. Matt, I could probably carry on talking to you all <laughs> afternoon about these topics, but uh, we do need to try and draw things to a close. So what would you say was the one big thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take from all the experience you've had with marketing, positioning and conference organising? Gosh, okay, well, I'd, 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 I'd urge your listeners to listen back to that last five minutes where you and I were talking about conferences um, because that's the th- I'd really like them to think about that. But other than that, the one piece of advice is to just stop saying the word digital. Yes. So we talk about digital marketing. Don't stop it. When you st- if you're going to talk about digital marketing, mean SEO, pay-per-click, uh, conversion rate optimization, that's digital marketing. That is not marketing. Absolutely so stop agree. You, stop Absolutely using the word agree. digital. <laughs> I, I'm going I'm to broadcast that as loud as possible. I absolutely agree with that. Dump the word digital. Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you this afternoon. It's a long overdue that you um, have yes. appeared on, on the podcast, and it's been great to chat to you this afternoon. Well, What's if you weren't if you were living at the other end of the country, we could have had a socially distanced coffee. We could have done. We could have done. <laughs> Matt, what's the best way that people should connect with you? Is it your website, LinkedIn, where? Uh, my my website is a Tumblr page that is has gone unloved for about five years. So so you can go to wiseolduncle.com, but don't expect too much. LinkedIn, I am I'm I'm almost addicted to LinkedIn. Um, so I'm on there a lot. Fantastic, and hopefully people will get in touch. I'll include the link to your LinkedIn page yeah. in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. Matt, thanks again for coming on the show. Hopefully we can meet up and have that coffee or preferably be a beer at some point oh. in an Eastern European country before too long. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you for having me, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. If you need help with your marketing, please get in touch at rogeredwards.co.uk. I'd love to work with you. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.